Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. A reading like Luke gave us this morning is similar to a reading we find almost every, every Advent. Sometimes it takes us by surprise. It reminds us that Advent is not for the faint of heart. There will be a time, Jesus says, when the whole world will seem to shake. It will be a time when the very order of things seem to be breaking apart, when the laws of nature or the laws of humanity fracture, and all of us are left reeling. For Jesus' disciples, Jesus was predicting the destruction that would come to Jerusalem, the destruction that in decades to follow would happen at the hands of the Roman Empire. But this is one of those texts that seem to have multi-layers. And the church has often read this text and why we're reading it today to describe the way that the world would convulse upon itself. The way that our world would be shaken to its very center over and over and over again. The ways that we rebel against our God and in doing so rebel against our own humanity, rebelling against true life. Just this week, it was on Tuesday, I sat with uh, Audrey and Brendan and Audrey told me about a friend of theirs or a friend of a friend of theirs who lives in the county, 12-year-old son, an inoperable brain tumor and how he has been sent home for Thanksgiving to die. And that evening, I went to a prayer vigil for Floyd Alston, who was shot in our neighborhood. I, I, I thought of that this week when I, when I heard Jesus say these words. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. Whenever you see these things, Jesus says, stand up and lift your head because redemption is near. To stand up means to get ready. It means to bring your full self to bear, to be present in your full body and mind, to not slink away, to not melt away to be fully present to this life God has given to you and this moment God has given to you. Sometimes the most powerful thing that we can do whenever we don't know what else to do is to stand up in our life. At the prayer vigil, that's exactly what happened. There was time for people to share. A number of people stood up. And one of the fellows essentially said this, I'm just here, I'm just standing up, and I'm saying no more. God help us. He says, lift up your heads. Don't we hide our face so much? We hide our face whenever we've given up, whenever we've surrendered. We hide our face when we feel shame. And Jesus says, precisely at this times, Raise your head, look up, stand up, 
Redemption is here. Then he tells a parable of the fig leaves and says, whenever fig leaves sprout, you know that summer is coming. You know that the kingdom is near. Why would God say precisely in these places when the world seems to be shattering upon itself, whenever our world seems to be falling apart, why would Jesus say at this precise moment, stand up, lift up your head, Redemption is near. Well, it seems to be consistent because all throughout the Bible, God is always near the brokenhearted. God is always near those who are heavy of heart, those on the fringes, those at the ragged edge, those who seem to have lost all hope. But Advent... This season of waiting, it is all about hope. It is all about anticipation. And it's one of these strange confluxes because there is a sense in which we reckon with the world is not as God hopes for it to be, not as our own heart longs for it to be. And yet there is this, if we'll let it happen, there is this deep and abiding sense of anticipation. So one of my friends said about Advent, a guest is coming. Sweep the floors, buy the champagne, restock the pantry, make ready. This is not a mere waiting of passivity. It's a waiting of getting ready. I love uh, the way Frederick Buechner described this. The house lights go off and the footlights come on Even the chattiest stop chattering as they wait in darkness for the curtain to rise. In the orchestra pit, the violin bows are poised. The conductor has raised his baton. In the silence of a midwinter dusk, there is far off in the deeps of it somewhere a a sound so faint that for all you can tell, it may be only the sound of the silence itself. And you hold your breath to listen. You walk up the steps to the front door. The empty windows at either side of it tell you nothing or almost nothing. For a second, you catch a whiff in the air of some fragrance that reminds you of a place you've never been and a time you have no words for. You are aware of the beating of your own heart. And the extraordinary thing that is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. Advent is the name of that moment. The Salvation Army Santa Claus clangs his bell. The sidewalks are so crowded you can hardly move. Exhaust fumes are the chief fragrance in the air. And everybody is as bundled up against any sense of what all the fuss is really about as they are bundled up against the wind chill factor. But if you concentrate just for an instant, far off in the deeps of you, somewhere you can feel the beating of your heart for all its madness and lostness not to mention your own, you can hear the world itself holding its breath. And Jesus says in this moment, when we're to stand up and lift our heads in hopeful anticipation, 
don't let your heart be weighted down. Some of you need that word. Don't let your heart be weighted down. With dissipations or drunkenness or anxieties, it's all the ways that we drown out our sorrow and dull our senses so that we don't feel the weight of it. We don't feel the sorrow of it. We don't feel the longing and the desire with such weight. And Jesus says, stand up, raise up your head, lift up your heart. Like we say at the Eucharist each week, lift up your heart. And you know how we do this? Jesus says that we watch. The NRSV says to be always on guard. I, I like the way the NIV puts this one. Always on the watch. I really want you to hear this today. This watching, as I understand it, is not a heavy, you'd better be watching because God is, he's coming. <laughs> it's also not the kind of hypervigilance like I have on some nights where something's coming the next day and I just, I wake up like every 40 minutes, how exhausting that is. That's not the kind of watching Jesus calls us to. It's the kind of watching that I fear we know so little of today. It's a watching that is overwhelmed with the possibility of wonder. It's hope that fills the heart with gladness. It's what Advent and then Christmas tide to follow is all about. In these days, we are invited to welcome the wonder, to let go of the cynicism, to hand over the despair, to return over and over again to the surety of our hope in God, to the very thing that our heart longs to believe is true, but perhaps because of our wounds, because of our disappointments, because we're now too smart for this sort of thing, we just sort of barricade ourselves. This is the kind of watching precisely like a child waiting for Christmas morning. It's like a mother waiting for life to emerge from her womb. It's like a husband waiting for the love of his life. I remember the first wedding I really remember being at. And I remember noticing, I, I probably was in junior high, and I remember the guy at the front, and he had a white or a, a pale blue tuxedo. And I just remember how hard he was breathing, and the back of his jacket wasn't fitted quite right, and it just was like, it was like in and out, and, and he was clammy, and I just thought, man, what is happening here? And, and then I was at my own wedding, and I love being at the front next as the pastor, next to a fellow, and I love it when tears begin to come as soon as he sees the doors open at the back. Call me a sap. It's that kind of anticipation. It's like watching the star-scattered sky over the expanse of the Grand Canyon. One of my most mystical and powerful moments was a a late evening on the rim of the Grand Canyon, and there wasn't a cloud in the sky, and it was erupting with brilliant light, and something overwhelmed me. It's like the anticipation of a real conversation with a real friend. 
It's like a gardener waiting for that first hint of tulips or maybe tomatoes. Now, I want to say something, and I hope you understand this. And I understand now, I, I thought about this a week, that we have lots of all of our kids here. I'm going to be very careful in my wording here. Um, I don't want to mess up any family traditions or myths. There is a certain rotund grandfatherly figure <laughs> who has massive silvery locks and who wears crimson, apparently year-round. He levels a hearty guffaw and lives in an Arctic locale. He, you're picking up on who I'm talking about, right? He's often featured as part of our Yuletide celebrations. And I want to say, I, I'm realizing, at least in certain circles, this is actually out of favor now, but I'm a fan. I think we have this magnificent myth because our heart is always searching for a language for these truths that God has wedded into our world, into our very being. I'm not necessarily arguing for what we say to our children, but if you don't have this story, I suggest you need another one, and you better get it quick. I, I will just uh, join in with what G.K. Chesterton said, and here uh, the uh, laughing prophet's words. What has happened to me has been the very reverse of what happens to be the experience of most of my friends. Instead of dwindling to a point, Santa Claus has grown larger and larger in my life until he fills almost the whole of it. It happened in this way. As a child, I was faced with a phenomenon requiring explanation. I hung up at the end of my bed an empty stocking, which in the morning became a full stocking. I had done nothing to produce the things that filled it. I had not worked for them or made them or helped to make them. I had not even been good. <laughs> Far from it. And the explanation was that a certain being whom people called Santa Claus was benevolently disposed toward me. What we believed was that a certain benevolent agency did give us those toys for nothing. And as I say, I believe it still. I have merely extended the idea. Then I only wondered who put the toys in the stocking. Now I wonder who put the stocking by the bed and the bed in the room and the room in the house and the house on the planet and the great planet in the void. Once I only thanked Santa Claus for a few dollars and crackers. Now I thank him for stars and street faces and wine and the great sea. Once I thought it delightful and astonishing to find a present so big that it only went halfway into the stocking. Now I'm delighted and astonished every morning to find a present so big that it takes two stockings to hold it and then leaves a great deal outside. It is the large and preposterous present of myself as to the origin of which I can offer no suggestion except that Santa Claus gave it to me in a fit of particularly and peculiarly fantastic goodwill. Now, I have no idea if we can extend this to the elf on the shelf. I'm going to say no. <laughs> but I will say this. We need ways to help keep the wonder alive because our God is a God of wonder. And if all we have is the facts, something desperately true is missing. Because that is wonder, that is grace, that is a wide vision. 
And that is a refusal to surrender to hope, to, to surrender hope, to just go along with the world as it is, and as we all know, it has to be. We have these stories not because of Madison Avenue, who wants to milk us for billions. They've perverted the truth. We have these stories because in the deepest places of our heart, we know it's true, and we refuse to give up on it. We know that this world is, in the fullest sense, overrun with goodness and beauty. We don't know how to make sense of the wreckage we experience or all the loss. But when we are true to our deepest beliefs, we know that God has not abandoned us, that hope is truer than despair, that God's promises are more potent than the many ways we mar the promises. And Jesus would say, keep our heart open and awake, live in hope and wonder. And we don't have to have a jolly fellow in the North Pole to do that by far. But if we abandon such things, don't let it be out of cynicism. <laughs> keep our heart open and awake to the goodness of God that will explode in a thousand places that will explode in our heart and in our hope and in our life and in our future. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for days and times and reminders and stories this Advent season where we wait and watch for the inbreaking of your kingdom in your son, Christ. We wait and watch for all of the goodness that you long to give us. And for those of us who sit in a place that seems so very far from goodness and light and hope, we pray for our sisters and our brothers. We pray for our friends and the neighborhoods around us. Make us whole. Give us possibility. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.